And I hope that you have a lovely picture like this. I hope you've been studying because there's going to be a quiz on this at the end of the evening. You're going to need to fill in a blank one of these. Just kidding. Take your outline out, though. Tonight we're talking about worldview. This is going to be a real shift from the things that we have been discussing on Wednesday nights. Okay, The first few weeks we talked about basics when it comes to sharing your faith. Some introductory things, defining what the gospel is, explaining what conversion looks like. Just sort of basic things that we need to know if we're going to be ready to go out and share our faith with other people. Then the last couple of weeks have been sort of practical in nature. We've talked about how do you share your testimony? How do you not share your testimony? We've talked about how do you use the Bible when you're sharing the gospel with somebody else? Um, And just some very hands-on things over the last two or three weeks when it comes to sharing your faith. Tonight is going to be a a shift. And I really wish, this is just sort of a, a disclaimer and an encouragement for you to come back the next few weeks. I wish I could take the next three weeks and we could do it all in one night because the next three weeks really do go together like this. And just for the sake of time and being clear and not rushing through everything, we're going to spread it out over three weeks. So we're going to talk about worldview some tonight. And if you'll come next week, I promise you the things we talk about tonight will be a little bit clearer the following week. And if you come back The following week after that, you'll really start to put the pieces together on what all of this has to do with sharing your faith. So the next three weeks really kind of hang together. So here's the first question I want you just to think about. Seven and a half billion people on the earth, okay? We've looked at the maps and all that stuff. Have you ever wondered how so many people who live on the same earth can see things and believe things so differently? I mean, when you go to Kenya, Kenya is one of those red countries up there, red countries, Christian countries. But you go to Kenya and you say, these people don't think like I think. They view the world completely differently than I do. And you see the same thing when you go to Asian countries, China. You see the same thing when you go to South America. You see the same place when you go to Western Europe. You go to these places and you say, these people just do not think the way that I think. And it's a remarkable thing because we're not talking about minor differences. We're talking about big, big differences in how people look at the world. We live on the same planet. We breathe the same air. We eat the same kinds of food sometimes. We all eat food. Sometimes we eat the same kind of stuff. Uh, We all fall in love and have families and have kiddos and love our families and want our kids to grow up and be successful. We all have all these sorts of things in common. But then you sit down and you talk about religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs and worldview issues, and we just go in completely different directions. And it's a strange thing to look at. I'll just give you some examples. Imagine these people lined up having a discussion. Take a a Baptist churchgoer from West Texas. So take yourself, okay? And then you line them up next to the fundamentalist Muslim who lives in Syria. Put them next to you. And then you go down to Brazil and you pull out the animistic witch doctor casting spells on people. And you put him in your lineup. And then you go to Western Europe, let's just say Poland, former Soviet Union influenced country. And you go to Poland and you find an atheistic evolutionary scientist who doesn't believe in God. And you add him to that group. And then you go to India... And you pluck a guy out of India, uh, some sort of religious guru uh, who worships statues and believes that there are millions of gods, millions upon millions of gods. And you put all those people in the room and you ask them to find some things that they agree on. I mean, that's radically different ways of looking at the world and believing things about religion and spirituality and all of that. And... Let's admit this, it's right here in the United States, too, those sorts of differences. You don't have to leave the United States to find major differences in people's worldview. And I'll give you a few examples. We live in a country, we've talked about this on Wednesday nights, where 90% of the people in this country say they believe in God. Okay, Nine out of ten say, we can agree that there is a God. We agree on that. 
And out of that flow major differences about political debates. Is that fair to say? Differences in politics among the 90%. We all pretty much say we believe in God, and you just sort of take all of us and divide us right down the middle, and this group says this is the way it is, and this group says that's the way it is, and we don't agree. I mean, at all, to the point where presidential elections roll around and you don't even want to talk to some people because you say, well, I don't agree with them. I can't even talk to them. We're just going to get in a big old hairy fight. We don't agree about anything. Well, we all believe there's a God. 90% of us believe that. How can we not? We don't agree, right? What about the issue of marriage and sexuality? That's a pretty polarizing issue in our society right now. And it doesn't follow this 90% believe in God, well, you would expect maybe 90% believe the same thing about that issue. Not even close. Not even close. What about the exclusivity of Christ, meaning we believe there's one way for a person to be saved and go to heaven? Well, 90% 90 of us believe that there's a God, but you're not going to find 90% of the people in the United States who will say Jesus is the only way that a person can go to heaven. We disagree on that. We, We fight about it. What about the value of life in the womb. Can I just tell you something kind of crazy? I know abortion's a hot button issue, but if the stats that say 90% of the people in this country believe that there is a God, you understand most of the people in this country who support abortion on demand believe in God. Just like you do. Maybe not exactly like you do, but as you do. You say you believe in God, they say they believe in God, and you come to totally polar opposite conclusions about what's right and what's wrong. And you look at that and you say, how, do you, how can we explain that? How can we all live on the same earth and we come to such crazy different conclusions, Hinduism and Islam and Christianity, all these different ideas. How can we live in the same country together? We grow up saying the same pledge, we hear the same national anthem, we know the same flag, and we just come to these crazy different conclusions about right and wrong and truth and morality and all these different things. The biblical answer, I guess, would be Romans 1 and the idea of sin. That left to ourselves, we all suppress the truth and we deny the things that are obvious about God and obvious to our conscience. Okay, So that would maybe be the, the easy, quick, biblical answer. The philosophical answer is to talk about the idea of worldview. And when I say philosophical, you probably get like, you're already bored. You're like, oh, this is not for me tonight. And I feel that way too, because I'll be honest with you, when I went to seminary, the two hardest classes for me, they were not Hebrew, it wasn't Greek, it wasn't taking systematic theology with the president of the school, it was the two philosophy classes I had to take. I sat in there and I thought, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I have no idea what's going on right now. Took a philosophy class on epistemology, and I sat there the whole time thinking, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. I have no clue. Got an A in the class. I have no idea how I got an A in the class because I don't know what they were talking about. But we're going to try to make this simple. I'm going to try to make it where my simple brain can understand it and hopefully your intelligent brains can also latch on to what I'm trying to make simple in my own brain. So we're going to talk about worldview. Put a picture up on the screen. This is maybe the best way I can explain worldview to you. Worldview is not what you see when you look out in the world. It is not what you think about certain things. Worldview is like the glasses that you put on and you look through those glasses to see everything else. Okay, Worldview is not what you see out there. Worldview are the glasses that you're using to look at everything else. Or I've heard other authors describe it as a window. Okay, Worldview is not what's out there. Worldview is the window that you look through to see what, what is out there. Okay, This is how you and I can sit in this room and we can say, this is real. It's really here, this podium. I can tap on it, I can feel it, I can shake it, I can move it over this way, I can move, put my stuff on it, it's real. And somebody from an Eastern worldview looks at it and says, no, it's not real. It's really not there. Physical stuff is not real. And you look at it and you say, we're looking at the same thing right here. We're, we're talking about the same thing. And one guy says it's real and the other guy says it's not real. That's because this guy has one set of glasses on, okay, 
and he's looking at it, and he says it's real. And this guy over here has a completely different set of glasses on, and he's looking at it, and he says it's not real. Okay? This is how, in the United States, people live in the same country, say they believe in the quote-unquote Christian God, can look at an issue like abortion, and this person can say, it's absolutely not right. Absolutely, no, it's wrong. And this person over here can look at it and say, you have lost your mind. You're a crazy fundamentalist. It's not a big deal. They're talking about the exact same issue. It seems completely obvious to both of them because they're looking at that issue with different types of glasses. They're saying they believe in quote-unquote God, but they're coming at it from entirely different worldviews. Your worldview, think about this, it controls how you experience reality. It controls how you make sense of life. It, it controls how you process the things that happen to you every single day in your life. Your worldview is like a filter for all of those things. So the only way to really wrap your mind around this is to just start talking about it. So this is a guy named Ron Nash. Ron Nash is a philosopher and a Christian guy, good guy. He's written a book called Worldviews in Conflict. It's not a terribly hard philosophy book. If you're interested in reading on this kind of stuff, that would be one to, to look at. Um, sometimes when I teach classes on evangelism, I use this book. I ask the students to read this book. So here's a few quotes from Ron Nash talking about worldview. A worldview is a set of beliefs about the most important issues in life. Going on, he says, a worldview is a conceptual scheme by which we consciously or unconsciously place or fit everything we believe in by which we interpret and judge reality. Okay? On that one, I just want you to stop and think about what he's saying there. He's not saying, like, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in, in uh, salvation? Do you believe in, in, uh, in truth? He's not talking about these, like, specific things. He's talking about big, huge level things, something that holds and contains all of the little things that you believe. That's your worldview. It's a conceptual scheme. You use it to interpret and judge reality. Look at the next quote. Instead of thinking about Christianity as a collection of theological bits and pieces to be believed or debated, we should approach our faith as a conceptual system, as a total world and life view. Okay? Instead of it's just bits and pieces of theology, your faith ought to encompass everything that you experience in life. And let me explain this, try to explain this uh, by picking on Christians, okay? We believe, and it's obvious in this country because we all say we believe in God and we come to all these different conclusions. We really think in this country, you have your religion over here, things you believe about religion over in this category, and then you have the rest of your life. And we believe we can keep those two things separate. They don't have to totally mix. This is my religious stuff, and then the rest is just normal life, everyday life. When you go to an Islamic country, they have religion and government and morality and ethics, all of it wrapped together, and you can't separate any of it. It's just all wrapped together. They are at least, I think they're dead wrong, but they're at least more consistent in applying the things that they say they believe to every area of their life. In this country, we just sort of say, well, religion, that's kind of a private thing, you know? You just kind of keep it to yourself, and it just sort of stays in one little corner of your life. And it doesn't impact all of the other stuff that you think and believe and feel. And Ron Nash is saying, that's just not good to have your theological bits over here and your normal life over here. It's got to all fit together. And so he goes on and he says this, a well-rounded worldview includes beliefs in at least five categories or five areas. God, reality, knowledge, morality, and humankind. Okay, so there's Ron Nash. Here's another guy, James Sire, and I like this picture of Sire because that just looks like a philosophy professor, right? He's got the old blazer on, and he's got the thick rim glasses, and got the beard, gray hair. That guy's ready to teach philosophy. He's got a book called The Universe Next Door. It's the best book I've ever read on worldview. I'm teaching a class right now of guys on evangelism, 
And uh, this is the, one of the books I'm making them read. It's a fantastic book. And here's one of the things he says about worldview. Worldview is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed. You can express your worldview as a story or in a set of presuppositions. And we hold these things, and they're about the basic constitution of reality that provides the foundation on which we move and live and have our being. Okay? It's a story, it's a set of truths, and we hold these things. It teaches us about reality, what's real, what's right, what's wrong, how should we live, all of these things. Here's a couple of things you need to wrap your mind around. Okay? Worldview basics. Some worldviews are entirely true. I would say the Christian worldview is entirely true. And all of the things that it claims to explain about life, it's true, entirely true. Other worldviews we would say are partially true. And I put Judaism and Islam in that category. Because the Jew and the Muslim will stand here and you'll tap on this podium and they'll say, yeah, it's real, it's really there. It's a real thing. We agree on that. And they will say, there is one God. And I think all of us in this room would say, we believe that. There is only one God. That's a core part of your worldview. And that affects everything else that you believe. They would agree with us when we said the one true God is the creator of everything that exists. They would say, absolutely, we believe that. Amen, hallelujah, we're with you. There's one God and he created everything. So we agree on some things, partially true. But then there's going to be a lot of areas of disagreement in those worldviews, okay? Other worldviews can be entirely false, and I would put Buddhism in that category. And if you just go through a worldview analysis of evangelical Christianity versus Buddhism, nothing lines up. Their view of thinking about God and reality and human beings and ethics and all of it is completely different than what we believe. So different, different sort of degrees of rightness in worldviews. Here's the next thing you need to get. Worldviews may be held consciously or unconsciously. What I mean there is people may be aware of their worldview or they may have no idea that they have a worldview. Okay? You may realize it or you may not realize it. And they may be held consistently or inconsistently. So some people, you know, they have their way of thinking about the world and thinking about reality and thinking about right and wrong. And it kind of all fits together. There's a place for every piece, and it all sort of hangs together. Other people, like people in the United States of America, are really guilty of, like, cafeteria-style worldview, right? Can I give you an example of somebody who would fall under cafeteria-style worldview? Okay? I'm not talking about any of you. I'm not talking about anybody you know. This is a fictional person, okay? This is the person who could come to our church on Sunday morning, and they could sit in here and say, man, that was good. Preacher, that's the best preacher I've ever heard. That guy is something else. I agree with everything he says. It's the greatest. And then Monday morning, they're kind of sick, so they stay home from work, and they watch Oprah all day, and they say, I love Oprah. Oprah is just the greatest. She is... She just lifts my soul up, and it's so encouraging. That's the best. I just love that. And then they get on Facebook on Tuesday, and they like all kinds of ridiculous stuff, just crazy stuff all over the map. They're here, and they're there, and they're liking this, and they're liking that. And then Friday night, by Friday rolls around, the work week's done, and they're feeling better, so they go out, and they just get slobber knocked drunk at the bar on Friday night. And then they come back Sunday morning, and they sit in here and say, great sermon. That person has a cafeteria-style worldview, okay? This is what Corey does when he goes to Furs. I don't go to Furs with Corey, but Corey loves Furs. Corey doesn't take everything on the line, right? He walks up and he says, mm, I think I'm going to have the chicken fry today. I'm going to pass on the baked fish. I don't want that, but I'll have the chicken fry. Then he moves down here and he says, hmm, green beans or mac and cheese? Easy, I'll take the mac and cheese. You keep the green beans, I don't want that, I'll take the mac and cheese. And I'm going to slide down here, cornbread or dinner roll? Mm, I'm going to go with the, and you take a little of this, 
and you don't take what you don't want and you don't like and you piece it all together and you can get to the end of the line at furs and you can have a hodgepodge meal that doesn't go together at all, right? You can have the weirdest mixture of stuff that doesn't fit together. You can have an enchilada and fried okra if you want to have that. You can have baked fish and a piece of pie if that's all you want to have. You just piece it together however you want. And that's kind of how Americans piece their worldview together. It's very inconsistent. And when you, when you see these categories of worldview, we're going to talk about them, and you start to talk to people. Remember we had a lesson on asking questions and listening to answers? You're not going to have a whole lot of luck telling people their worldview is stupid. Good luck with that. What you can do is ask them questions like, so what do you believe about this? And just give them enough rope to hang themselves. Listen to them. And then say, okay, so then what do you believe? What do you think about this? And again, you give them enough rope. And then you say, how do you fit those two things together? And most people in this country have never thought about the fact that those two things cannot be fit together. You don't have to tell them it's ridiculous. You just have to ask some questions and be quiet. But we hold our worldviews, especially in this country, sometimes inconsistently. Here's the last thing you need to know. Everyone has a worldview whether you realize it or not. Some people don't. And many people don't live in a way that actually reflects the things that they say they believe. But everyone has a worldview. Okay? I'm going to give you eight basic questions. These are from... Professor Sire, eight basic questions that every worldview answers. Here we go. Question one, what is prime reality? When you come back next week, we're going to talk about what is the evangelical Christian worldview. What do we say about all these things? And we're going to do some comparison to other worldviews, okay? So we make sure we understand what our worldview is. But the first question is, what is prime reality? Um... In an Eastern worldview, just to give you a little hint here, you go to India, you ask somebody that first question, and they're going to say, Atman is Brahman. And you're going to say, I don't know what that means. And they're going to say, well, everything is God. Everything is ultimately the most real spirit, God, essence, whatever. And you're going to say, no, there is one God. He's a creator, and he's holy, 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 and he made everything that exists, and he's separate from it. And they're going to say, no, 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 everything, this and that, it's all. What is prime reality? You're going to have to answer that question. What is the nature of external reality, the world around us? We've talked about that a little bit. What is a human being? You understand that the Christian worldview is going to have a completely different answer to that question than the evolutionary scientist, right? Completely different answer to how do you, how do you define a human being. And when you make one answer or the other on that question, it's going to affect your life in dramatic ways. It's going to affect the things that you approve of and the things that you're comfortable with. How do you answer that question? What happens to a person at death? If you go to India, we're going to talk about this in a minute, they just say, well, you, you die and you're born again. And then you die and you're born again. And then you die and you're born again. And again 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 and again. It just keeps going. And we say, that's not exactly how it works. You live, and then you die, and then you stand before the Lord. And there's a judgment. Totally different answers. Affects everything in your life. How do you answer that question? Question five. This is one of the most important worldview questions. You should star it and circle it and highlight it because we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks. How do we know anything? How can we know? I told you I, I took an epistemology class. That's what that class was really about. How do you know? How can you know? What is reliable for giving you information about life and God and truth and morality and all of it? Where do you get that from? How do you know what's right and wrong? It's part of your worldview. What's the meaning of history? We'll talk about that some next week. 
And then this last question is important. What personal life-orienting core commitments are consistent with this worldview? That's a smart guy's way of saying, how should you live? How should you go through life if you actually believe all the things that you say you believe? If you are going to live consistently according to what you say you believe, how you answer those other seven questions, what should your life look like? Okay, so those are the questions of worldview. Let me show you these layers. And then I'll tell you a couple stories, okay? Layers of a worldview. Your worldview says this is real. Your beliefs say this is true. Your values say this is good. And your behavior says this is what you should do. Okay? And you just imagine that that circle and box over on the right is you. And understand this. At the core of who you are in what the Bible would describe as in your heart, that's your worldview. It's the central part of who you are, your worldview. And out of your worldview comes the things that you believe and the things that you value and the way that you live. Okay? To put it a little bit differently, going back to the picture I showed you, right? You got your glasses on, your worldview glasses, and you're looking around at the world and you're trying to make sense of things and come up with truth and reality and all of it, the glasses that you wear are going to determine what do you believe, what do you think is good, and what are you actually going to do. So let me tell you a story that I think will illustrate this, um, I hope clearly. You ever heard of William Carey, missionary, known as the father of the modern missions movement? Um, He lived in England And he got this idea that he should go to the heathen um, and he should tell them about Jesus. And he told some of his buddies, I think I should go tell the heathen in India about Jesus. And the first group of people he told about that looked at him and they said something to the effect of, you just need to sit down. When God's ready to save the heathen, he'll do it with or without you. Calm down, young man. And he couldn't calm down. He just, he said, I got to go. And so he left home, and he had incredible hardships with his family, leaving home, going to India. This is when uh, Britain was a colonial power, and he goes to India. And one of the first things he sees is this, okay? This is a picture of an Indian funeral. Predominant worldview would be Hinduism. Vast majority, at this point in time, everybody there would be Hindu. And William Carey gets off the boat, and one of the first things he sees is this. They're at a funeral, and they burn the body at the funeral. They put it on a pyre. This man dies. And what's supposed to happen is the wife is supposed to jump on the fire in the funeral. If she doesn't do that, then the people take her and throw her on the fire and burn her with the husband. And they just have like a two-for-one deal. They both die. So you're William Carey. You leave England. You don't do funerals like that in England, right? That's not what you're used to. You get off the boat, somebody says, oh, look, they're having a funeral. And you're watching and you say, they just threw that woman on the fire and killed her and no one did anything about it. In fact, they all seem to think that is exactly what should have happened. What in the world are these people doing? And the answer to that is their worldview is different than yours. And so look at this picture and let's explain it. Okay, up on the behavior level is something called sati. That is, you take a widow when her husband dies, and if she won't kill herself with him, you throw her on the funeral pyre and she dies. That's sati. That's what they're doing. Okay? But you back it up and you say, why are you doing that? Why would you do something so crazy? It doesn't make any sense. And they would say, well, it's very important in our culture. We think it's valuable. It's important. It's good for people to know their place. You need to know your place in society. And you're thinking India, right? All these different castes, all these different levels of people. And they're saying, you need to know your place. And if this is your place, that's where you need to stay. If your place is down here as one of the untouchables, don't even think about raising up to a more important caste. That's your place, and you need to know your place. And the place of a woman is to be with her husband. And if he dies, she should die. That's important in our society. And you say, well, 
I don't understand why that's a, such a big deal. Why, why, why do you have to know your place? Why can't you move around? And they say, well, it's because we believe in karma. And karma's not the dopey thing we make it out to be, like you ran a red light, so karma says the police is going to pull you over in the next block for going two miles over the speed limit. Ha, karma got you. That's what you deserve. That's not karma. Karma in their worldview is the idea that you were born into your place because of what you did in previous lives. It's no accident that you were born to a high position or a low position or as a man or as a woman. That's exactly where you were supposed to be and it's based on what you did in your previous life. It's based on how well did you know your place in your last life. Well, that determines where you're born in this life. And you say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Previous lives and last lives and karma and knowing your place. And they say, well, you believe in reincarnation, right? That's a central tenet to the Hindu worldview. You look at those worldview questions. What happens to a person after death? What is a human being? What is the meaning of history? All those questions come together and the Hindu says, history is like a big circle and we're just on this wheel going around and around and around and you're just on for the ride. And you're going to die at some point, but it's okay because you're going to come back. And however you lived in this life is going to determine how you come back in the next life, karma. So wherever you find yourself now, you earned it. Know your place. That means if you're a woman, sorry, you didn't do so great in the last life. And if your husband dies, you really didn't do so great in the last life. And it's your place to die with him. In their worldview, that makes perfect sense. In our worldview, we say, yeah, but you're throwing a lady on a fire. And they say, they're looking at the same thing. They say, of course. Makes sense to me. Reincarnation and karma and you know your place and you throw her on the fire. But you're looking at that same situation with different glasses. Here's the tricky part. Go back to William Carey, right? You're William Carey. You don't want to see those ladies get thrown on the funeral pyre, right? I mean, you want to do anything in your power to stop that from happening. Here's the tricky part. You can make laws and you can intimidate people and you can put a gun to their head or threaten them with certain things and you can change that outside layer of behavior. Worldview doesn't change that easy. And you can go to India and you can work and work and work and get laws passed, which they eventually did, that outlawed sati. You can't do that anymore. But guess what? When they passed that law to outlaw sati, churches weren't full the next Sunday. It wasn't like, well, okay, we've got to give that up. I guess that means we better become Christians. Because all this underlying stuff in their heart was still in place. Okay, We see the same thing when we go to Kenya all the time. It's very easy when you go to a foreign country, in Africa especially, they're very poor, you're rich and white, and they think you have things, and you say, would you pray a prayer to accept Jesus as your Savior? What you're asking them is, will you do something? on the top well sure I'll do that might have some benefit for me at some point and they do something externally but it doesn't change anything underneath the surface same thing can happen in the United States if you're not careful so there's one example of how this works um, let me give you another example a few years ago I went to Argentina okay, on a mission trip and we went to this cathedral this is the National Cathedral in Córdoba, Argentina, and uh, downtown close to the square is amazing, amazingly beautiful. We went in, we walked around, fantastic. Uh, one of the cool things you can see, they've done some recent work to make it look nicer and update it, but you see uh, the three arches in the front, right? And then you go over to the right and you see that little staircase going down, right? And then you go over to the right a little more and you see it doesn't look like sort of stucco, it looks like old brick, Right? You can go inside, if you go on the special tour, you can go up on this top level and look out over that old roof on the right side of the picture. And some of those tiles on the roof of this cathedral, cathedral's hundreds of years old, hundreds and hundreds of years old originally. That's the original structure. And you can look at those tiles, and they're clay tiles, handmade, and you can see fingerprints from the guys who made those clay tiles hundreds of years ago sitting on that roof. Amazing. Go by and you see history like that. So we're walking around, and honestly, it's just a typical Catholic cathedral, okay? 
Um, Brooke and I have been in the one in Louisville, Kentucky, and I've been in them with some of my family members and, you know, some cultural differences around the world, but it's just typical Catholic cathedral. You walk in, and there's pictures of the saints all over the place. You can see some of them up there on the ceiling and over on the sides of this main, what we would call, you know, the, the sanctuary in the middle. Over on the sides, they have little altars to this saint and altars to that saint and little things to Mary and little things to little baby Jesus statues. All those things that to us, I don't mean this in a derogatory, but if you're Baptist, you go in there and you think that's weird stuff. Why you have all that stuff on the walls? It's just so different to us. So they got all that. And the guy showing us around, the missionary, he takes us all the way down. We went in the middle of the week. No one was in there. We walk all the way down the middle aisle. And you can see there's a dome right above the altar in the front. We walk all the way down, and he points us up at the top of that dome, and he says, look up there, what do you see? And we're looking up there, and he say, well, you see, looks like they kind of had a, maybe a painting of the Trinity. There was some symbolism and stuff. And he said, yeah, yeah, what else? Well, it looks like maybe, maybe Peter and Paul. You know, all the typical Catholic things you would see up there. And he says, yeah, but what's at the very, very, very top, right in the middle, the very top, not all the other stuff, right in the middle and the top? And you say, well, it kind of looks like a sun. He says, that's exactly what it is. And you're just kind of waiting like, okay, I'm dumb. Don't, I don't get it. Explain it to me. And he says, well, you remember the guy whose thumbprint is on that clay tile over there? Well, he was just an indigenous dude living in Argentina. was in Argentina at the time, living in the mountains. And these Spaniards came over, and they had guns, and they said, guess what? You guys are Catholic now. And with the gun to their head, they said, sounds good to us. What do you want us to do? Worldview, okay? Go to this next picture. Think about worldview. Is there one? Go back to the one that has the picture of worldview if I didn't put it up there. Uh, yeah, that's the one I'm looking for. What do you want us to do? And they say, well... What you can't do is offer sacrifices to all these different gods anymore. You don't want us to offer sacrifices to the gods anymore? Great. We'll stop. And the Catholic missionaries, the first Catholic missionaries, looked at that and said, we're the best missionaries ever, man. We just converted a whole nation of people, told them to stop sacrificing to their gods, and they said they would do it. All they changed was what they were doing on the outside. And everything else underneath that they left the same. And they still believed, even though they weren't offering the sacrifices, they still believed it's a good thing to appease and control the spirits out there. They still believed those spirits were there. The Catholic missionaries said, all you need to stop is offering these sacrifices. They said, we still need to appease the spirits out there. And they still believed, one of their beliefs was that the high God was the sun God. The sun. They worshiped the sun. And they think they need to appease him. And their underlying worldview is animism and it hasn't changed. So when they are forced to build this cathedral, they sort of stick their thumb in the eye of these Catholic guys. And at the very top, they put Jesus in there and they put Mary in there and they put all the saints in there like they're supposed to. But at the very top, they say, we still believe the sun God's the highest God. And there he is at the top of the Catholic cathedral in Cordoba. Above... Jesus above the Trinity right there at the very top and you look at that from a historical perspective and you say look they changed their behavior but they didn't change their actual worldview okay so you say great Argentina and India this doesn't really have anything to do with us it has everything to do with us Because people in this country, good, moral, church-going people, remember a day where most people did things that seemed pretty Christian. We all kind of agreed on the surface of how you ought to live your life. You should get married, and you should have kids, and you should stay together, and you should work hard, and that should be the end of it. Now we say, well, we disagree on who you should marry, and we disagree about how you should treat children in the womb and we disagree about whether you should work or you should just freeload and we disagree about all these different things the behaviors have changed and there's just a a desire among some Christians to say we need to fix the behavior 
The problem is there's a completely different worldview underneath all of it. What we want is not a church full of people who act Christian. We want a church full of people who are Christian. Right? When you look around our city, we don't just want a city full of people who act Christian. We want a city full of people who are Christian. In the United States, we don't just want a country that acts right. We want a country of people whose worldview is right. And it's much, much harder to change worldview. You can't just make a law and change worldview. You can't just come to a new continent with a gun and put it to the guy's head and change his worldview. It doesn't happen that way. You can change his behavior easy. You can put consequences on things and change people's behavior, but changing worldview is much, much harder. So let me end with this. Why is worldview important? And this is where we're going to look at the Bible tonight. Real quick. The importance of worldview. Number one, Christians must understand the biblical worldview. Number two, Christians must be able to interact with other worldviews. And number three, Christians must live a life that matches our worldview. And all of these things we're going to start to to explain out in detail next week. We're going to do a lot more Bible flipping around next week. But I want you to look at these passages and we'll wrap up. 1 Peter 3, okay? We have looked at this passage so many times and we'll look at it all the way through this study. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Here's a reality. You live in a country of people who have very different worldviews. Even the people who think that they're all Christians, we're all in this Christian worldview, there's very different worldviews underlying that. And you, as a follower of Christ, need to be able and ready to defend the hope that you have in Jesus Christ and how that should play out in your life. And you need to be able to do it with gentleness and respect. Not just looking at somebody who disagrees with you politically or ethically or morally and saying, you're just an idiot. But being able to talk to them about the real issues underlying your disagreement. You have the responsibility to be able to do that. Look at Acts 17. We have to be able to interact. Acts 17. Paul's on a mission trip, okay? This is when he goes to Athens. There's all these philosophers. Look at Acts 17, and let's start in 16. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he looks around and he says, these people have a different worldview. They don't worship the same God that I do. We have different definitions of what is prime reality, what is really real. They think it's an idol. I think it's the one true God. He's provoked. He reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with them. That means he didn't just walk into the marketplace and say, you're all a bunch of bozos. But he talked to them. What do you believe? Why do you believe that? That doesn't really make sense. How do you fit it together with what you've experienced in life? He's reasoning with them. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? So some of them say to Paul, you're a a fool. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Even they understood that Paul had a different worldview, right? This guy's talking about stuff that we don't, this doesn't make sense to us. He was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Remember the worldview question, what happens after death? Well, Paul says one of the things that's going to happen is resurrection. They say, that's not part of our worldview. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed all the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. You see how Paul's kind of using his brain here? He gets a chance to talk to these guys and he doesn't stand up and say, You're a bunch of fools. 
How stupid can you guys be? You have an altar to a God you don't even know. That is absolutely ridiculous. I've never been to a more stupid city in my life. Instead, he's, he sort of butters them up a little bit. He says, look, I can tell you guys are religious. You're serious about this stuff. I mean, you even have an altar to a God that you don't know who he is. And he says, what you worship is unknown. I want to tell you about. These are worldview questions he's about to talk about. You ready? The God who made the world and everything in it, that's prime reality, God. And he created everything. That's the nature of the world. It was made by God. Being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. That's how do you define human beings, right? Worldview question. How do you define what we are? Paul says, let me tell you, you're made by God. God made you. That's who you are. You're not just evolved from somebody. It's not just that you've always been here. God made you. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. This is what you ought to do with your life. This is right and wrong. You should seek God in the hope that you might feel your way toward him and find him. He's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we move, live and move and have our being. And then this is crazy, verse 28. Even as some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. He says, look, some of your poets, they have the idea right, that we're offspring of the divinity. That's like partially true worldview, right? He knows the things that they believe, and he says, you're off on a lot of things, but you got this one thing right. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man times of ignorance God overlooked he commands all people everywhere to repent you remember the worldview question what is the meaning of history Paul's about to answer it right here he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed that's what's coming in history we're not on a ferris wheel going round and round and round it's not just you die and then that's it you get snuffed out there is a day coming where God will judge the world that's a worldview question and the man he's appointed in a And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we'll hear hear you about this again. So Paul went out from their midst. Some men joined him and believed. Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. So Paul is engaging them on a worldview level. He understands what they believe and he's sharing the Christian worldview with them. Okay. In some places... I want you to see the difference in Acts 17 and some other places. In some places, Paul went to town, and he went to the Jews, who had a lot of similarities in their worldview, and basically what he said is, Jesus is the Christ, and you need to accept Jesus. Paul does not talk about Jesus in this speech until all the way down, where he talks about this day where he's going to judge all mankind, and he's appointed somebody by whom he's going to do that. He's talking about more basic, fundamental world, worldview issues. Okay? Last idea, you must live a life that matches your own worldview. Uh, look at James 1. James 1. Verse 22. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then he gives us a specific example. If you think you're religious... For tonight's purposes, we could say, if you think you have a Christian worldview, but you can't control your tongue, you deceive yourself in your heart, and your religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. James is saying, it's great for you to have all the worldview answers, and you can fill in all the blanks on the outline, but if it doesn't translate into your actual life, All that stuff is worthless. You're deceiving yourself. 
So there's a little bit about worldview, just an introduction to worldview. Next week, we're going to talk about our specific worldview and fill in all of these gaps. And I gave you this nice flow chart. I like flow charts. This is a great flow chart. There's a lot going on here. And you just take it and think it over. And some of you, I know you're already rolling your eyes at me and you think the writing is too small and you can get a magnifying glass or you can use this for kindling. You can make it into a paper airplane. Fine by me. This is as big as I could get it. And uh, here's what this is doing, okay? When you look at this little chart, you ought to think through it. This is helpful. The gray boxes are questions, worldview questions. The yellow boxes are how do you answer those questions, yes or no? Do you believe God exists? Well, here's the options. No, I don't care, I don't know, or yes. You follow the chart. You go to the next question. Answer the next question. And eventually you get to one of these red boxes, and the red box says, well, this is your worldview. That's what you believe. So if you say, do you believe God exists? Yes. Do you believe more than one God exists? Yes. Then you're a polytheist. There you go. Easy. You're done. Put it away. And you can work all the way through this, and you can find right there sort of in the middle, Christian theist. And I hope that that's where you would end up. And we're going to talk next week about why that's the place you ought to end up. So there you go. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you an assignment before we finish. Father, thank you. Uh, for minds to think, and thank you for smart folks uh, like Sire and uh, other philosophers, uh, Dr. Nash, to, to help us think about what it is we believe and why we believe it and why it matters. And we want to be well equipped to share the truth of the gospel, and that means we have to be ready to engage people who believe very different things than we do. We need to know how to discern what it is that that people are basing their life on and why and how to discuss those things with gentleness and respect and not just to be brash and offensive, but how to talk with people like Paul did in Athens. So, Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.